0: Here's the thing is where the real value is to the consumer and to the advertiser who wants to be part of this. Sports, you know like whether it's like an amazing thing of like your team won or or the, like a, an underdog story. Yep. It's how you it's how you feel and the lifestyle stuff makes you feel more than the game itself. And to me that's where the value lies and that's where I want to own it.
1: They're not a magazine company anymore and they're certainly not just a website. They have millions of followers on social media. They're a call to action. Complex Networks defies the stale conversations of the past and shifts the world's attention to the movements within convergence culture. They were born in American pop culture, a business built on telling the stories of subcultures and communities, and they've now reshaped who the faces are of mainstream. They garner over a billion views per month, 75 million-plus unique visitors per month across digital and social and their stickiness from users to platform, their ability to monetize that, is their MO. And on today's show, I asked Complex Network's founder and CEO, Rich Antonella, how he did it. We discussed media trends, acquiring an audience, the challenges of being an entrepreneur, where the long tail of sports lie, the launch of the Air Jordans, and why he thinks Bo Jackson is the greatest athlete of all time. We could have rapped for hours. He's the most engaged and illuminating CEO I've ever been with. I love Rich. Suiting Up is a show that explores the psychology, playbook of tools, and strategies of the most influential people in sports, entrepreneurship, and entertainment. He covers all three. All right, on to the conversation. Born on the streets in Brooklyn, your father worked at UPS, your mother stayed at home and helped raise you, yep. and fast forward to where you're sitting right now with me, you're one of the top media execs on the planet. I'll accept that, that's fine. It's an aspirational story, though. That's right. It is. People think and dream about this all the time, every day, right? But the gap from where you're from to where you are now includes hard work, failure, fear, a lot of downs. For me, I I always like to hear with my guests, especially the early days, the origin story. So I want to start with your childhood and given (laughs) that upbringing, because a lot of media execs come from media families. That's right. That's right. So for you, what were those... Most memorable moments or the core characteristics that have helped you prevail in this really really difficult business.
0: You know, uh, it, it's it's very interesting. Uh, I I do agree. And when I broke into media, it was still like that, where you know you got your job went because your uncle played golf with the right guy on Fridays, right when nobody was going in the office or the three martini lunch. I I didn't even know what the hell any of this crap was growing up, right? But but. <laughs> You know, for me, it's very interesting. I'll, I'll tell a quick little anecdote. Um, I uh, I just saw a, one of my cousins the other day, and she was telling me a story. She goes, you know what's so funny? I don't know if you remember this, but when you were graduating high school at your party, we had a little barbecue in the backyard in Brooklyn, yeah. and I asked... She goes, I asked you what you wanted to do, and you were like... I don't fucking care. As long as I, I'm not living in a place like this, Mm. and I'm worrying about paying bills, and you're like, as long as I have my boat on the weekends, and I'm doing what the hell, and and you know what's so funny? It is true. Like, I, my drive for success was not specific uh, from a category until much later. I just knew that there was no way I wanted to. Live the way I was brought up, and I mean not not the 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 uh, there was plenty of great things about yeah. that that made that 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 and I had a lot of fun times, yep. but the the overhang of worrying about being able to pay certain bills at certain times and the fights that I used to watch my parents have over like a seventy five dollar electric bill, it which is
1: crazy yeah. town, um, that was just to me that was. Almost a sole driving force. So many people can identify that. I, I mean, I remember growing up, and I, I still have this, and I and I reflect and thankful for this. But I look at a menu at a restaurant, and I'm deciding mm-hmm. between two entrees on a two dollar gap. You,
0: you, I'm, I'm that, still I, doing can't, that.
1: I, I can I, I do it all the time. Are you joking? <laughs> I'm like, I, I mean, chicken it, Chesapeake here is twenty five. The I, salmon's.
0: I'll I'll make it very specific to me. But you know, I do that on wines, right? Because yeah. there's a huge gap on the on the menus, yeah. and I'm just like. It is so weird to me to be able to sit down and look at a menu and and I don't have to worry about it. But right. you know, it's like how can I even justify going and buying a four a five, four five hundred dollar bottle of wine um, when I remember being stressed out. Um, when we would go out for dinner, which didn't happen often, but it would be like, oh my god, if we spent seventy dollars, it was like, oh my god, like I can't, as a family, yeah, right. It's just, it's very yeah. Weird. That stuff
1: carries. That frugality will carry with you, and but I think it transfers well into the world of entrepreneurship, very it, well.
0: Well, it's not just the 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 fear driver is fantastic from a motivational perspective, but to your point, the frugality. Is it just makes you grind on every le- on a tactical level going and questioning is like, you know, it's like, all right, I'm going to spend this money, how, and here's the 50 hedges because I cannot afford to lose that money. Yeah. And I'll tell you a quick, a quick little anecdote. Um, previous, you know, uh, uh, my partners at uh Complex when we first started, we were in a separate LLC part of Echo Unlimited. Yeah. And Seth Gersberg is the guy who ran uh, the, 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 the company from the business perspective. Mark was the design side of things. And uh, I'm going in and we're having an argument over the budget, Seth and I. And he goes, listen, man. He goes, at the end of the day, he goes, I got you. I'm going to trust you. And by the way, that was to- totally out of character. Like Seth fought with everybody and said no to everything. And he goes, you're the only person that I've ever worked with that treats my money like it's yours. And first of all, I, I, we didn't really get along that well, but yep. like, that's one of the best compliments I've ever received yep. uh, in my life. And I, that carried through when we went and sold the business, uh, and, and I got venture backing in 09 from Excel and Austin Ventures. Yep. I always did it exactly the same. You know, I'm massively ambitious, but on the flip side, I'm ridiculously pragmatic. It's yep. a weird, it's a very
1: incongruent uh, yeah. uh, dichotomy. <laughs> when when you went over to basically shell them in a way on their magazine that they had just launched, it had taken. Uh, Mark, Echo, and Co., two years roughly to launch Complex Magazine. <laughs> and you have experience in this space, which I, I want to figure out how you found media, because there's so many kids, especially now in the content era, that, that want to be media executives but have no idea the work product that goes into such. We'll get to that. But when you went in there and what you're saying now is is treating someone's money as if it's actually yours and that sense of ownership when you went in and they said hey we got to have this guy run our our magazine and they named you CEO did you get equity in the business then Uh yes okay yeah I took a a nice portion because I I left a very
0: nice job I was yeah. um I had a a national sales director role over at National Geographic and was doing exceptionally well uh and you know it's funny um when I got offered the job uh, I went to my dad um and uh I said, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I make really good money, and I work at one of the best brands on a global basis, and and he looked at me and he goes, he goes, well, you think you're so smart? He goes, if you think you're so smart, then go prove it. He yeah. goes, go, you know, and I was 30 years old, and I had previously just run revenue and done sales, and I had a very big interest though on the creative side and other things like that, and um, and I know it doesn't sound. Um, it doesn't sound young today, but I have news for you. In 2002 and 2003, there were not a lot of 30-year-old CEOs. No, nope. that, This is a new phenomenon, by yeah. the way. I mean, previously, honestly, the, anybody with money wouldn't even think of talking to somebody under 40 years yeah. old. And, and
1: there are still very few now. They, they just, the, the select few are so romanticized in media that we think they're... But, but your th- point, th- yeah. That's right. Yeah.
0: And you know, I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, I got to take this shot. Um, I'm, uh, someone's handing me the keys to something like this, and it's an opportunity. And you know, I, I do have a big ego, so I'm like, you know what, I gotta, I gotta do it. Yeah. And um, I walked in, and uh, there was a whole bunch more screwed up than I thought. And um, I called up my dad like two weeks in. I'm like, yeah, I'm quitting. I'm gonna go back and take my old job. And he goes there's not a fucking chance that's yeah. happening <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he was like nope, that's great that's not not even not he goes don't ever talk to me and don't ever come home if you do that
1: <laughs> so the reason i had asked about the equity piece and i wonder if you've you've found this but i've noticed in a lot of entrepreneur circles that you know, that the realization By the way, i didn't even understand what equity was at that time to be yeah. really frank you, yeah i did but you knew you were an owner i i was just I, i'm an owner yeah. you're an owner. And so, so the, the conversation that, that's pretty consistent, unless you've been able to figure out how to build the culture, is that you can never expect, even with your top executives, unless they have some type of equity in your business, generally, this, this notion is, uh, is shared across entrepreneurs, to, to be able to wake breathe, eat, sleep with your company, protect the money as if it's yours. And my question to you, if you found those people, how did you find them? There, were, there was this moment
0: for a while where, um, and I, not just media, but just you know entrepreneurs in general, Silicon Valley and so on and so forth, where everybody, uh, you know, the joke was you couldn't go to a coffee shop in San Francisco, and people were talking more about uh, you know what what their options were worth on paper on a mark to market basis. You know every, yeah. every you know, and it was a bad joke. And ninety nine point five percent of those people never saw a dime.
1: Yeah, and they and they, and if they had the option, they couldn't afford to buy out buy those options. But, correct. Yeah. Well, that's
0: a whole nother. A whole and whole then there, there's there's the way they screwed everybody over. And yeah. what I always find is what's funny um, about options. And you know, we we were very good to a lot of our team when we set this up. Um, in that we didn't discuss the number of options, we discussed the percentage of the company that they were going to receive. Because a lot of the big joke is a lot of companies like, you're going to get you're getting a million shares. Right. Oh, by the way, there's a billion shares available, so yeah, the percentage is this much. Sure. And by the way, here's where you sit in the waterfall, and you're going to get screwed. But everyone's like, I just I have a million shares. It yep. doesn't. Nobody asked how what percentage of the company that is. Where do I stand? Yep. Who's in front of me? What preference? So on and so forth. Um, but let me go back to your question, because there's the... the arc. I actually fundamentally do not agree with the theory that the only way to get someone to sleep, eat, and and live a business or a brand is uh, equity. Mm-hmm. I, I do not share that. And um, I think there's an archetype of people that wanna win. Um, I'm not saying you can't motivate them more, but I think foundationally, I always look for people with massive chips on their shoulder, um, and uh, I mean, look, I'm not in a position to give equity now, yeah, uh, because we we're we, you know we've exited, yep. Um, and I will tell you something. I have uh, 50 to 70 people on my staff that are. Would run somebody down for this brand. Yeah, I mean, literally. Yeah, and and maybe more. I'm not trying to insult anybody, but I mean, it, 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 there's an archetype. I got news for you: if money or options are the exclusive
1: motivator, I got you. You're probably not the right person to work with yeah. me. It's the people and the brand. That's right. And so when you come over from overseeing revenue and stepping into this new world now, where you're building that culture. What were some things that you installed or was it an evolving process for you? I, I got to imagine your EQ. I, I know your EQ is through the roof. Mike and I, who's my brother, we always talk about having met you over a year ago. <laughs> and that probably came from the streets of Brooklyn. Uh, part of it. Part of it. I and mean, look. And your folks.
0: And my dad. Yeah. I mean, literally, I grew up until I was about 18 or 19 years old. Um, I thought my name is, what are you, a fucking moron? Right, like that's the way that was my dad. Like I'd go to and you know like I'd walk. Hey, look what I just did! What are you a fucking moron? Right, like you know. Oh, I got ninety nine on the test. What are you a fuck? You know, like that's yeah. the way I grew up. Nothing was ever good enough, um, and um, because his expectations of me were off off the charts, and um, you know, I, I I learned all this stuff on the fly. To be really frank, like I, I was a reluctant CEO. Yep. Uh, I wanted it. I wanted more money and I wanted more responsibility and other things like that, but I didn't really know and understand what it was. Like I never... you know, Like I said, go, going back to the beginning of this conversation, I always thought it was like, as long as I make this much money and I can have this much life, that's what, I, that's what I thought I wanted. Yeah. Because I'd never met anybody who built a company, ran a company. That's not... I didn't have exposure like that. And then when I started to realize, oh my God, that stuff is so important and honestly motivated the hell out of me, even more than just money, that you're building something new and different, like building. There's a difference. Like Uh running and building are two completely different things. And and people do not understand that that is not splitting hairs. There's a chasm that is like bigger than the Grand Canyon between those two things.
1: So much that private equity companies often won't invest in something that's building from scratch. Uh, they'd rather they'd rather come over the top of well, something that's already that, up and up because I mean, they that's, know that's, how hard it well, is, and that's why venture was
0: established. Yep, right because of the appetite for risk was too high for private equity. Yeah, right. I mean, exactly. And you know, you you, you got to think about that. But you know, when I got there, like I said, I, I just I'm learning everything. Right? Like I'm young. I'm all over the place. I have a you know a rather large personality, and you know I also. Uh, not that I have my temper under control yet, but I definitely did not at that time Yeah, have my temperature, uh, my, uh, my, um, my, my temper- temperature and your, temperature. Yeah, well, <laughs> all of the above, all of the above. And I'm sure there's some very good stories out there. Uh, we will not be sharing. Um, but, but, but look, I, I, I learned on the fly. And the one thing that I, I always took a lot of pride in is um, I never let, the my level of ambition or or ego and belief in myself limit being open to understanding different perspectives and learning because I always felt like maybe it was the whole what are you a fucking moron in the back of my head yep. like that there's is always stuff to learn is always a way to do better and organically I've always been very empathetic yeah um and okay, uh, huge. you know it's huge tremendous I mean it's it's become a thing. Um, I think most people, it's all lip service, personally. Yep. I think most people do not fundamentally respect other people and their opinions and their wants and their needs and what they're going through and understanding that. I think it's, it's a trend that people want to jump on. Um, it's almost become like an HR moniker, which I think is a bunch of shit. But, yep. you know, you have to... I the, In building this company through some of the toughest times, you know, iterating... Out of print, which was one of the – publishing, which was one of the worst categories in the world, into digital and then going through at the at that pivot and that inflection point happened right when the world fell apart and and we had one of the worst recessions we've ever
1: seen and most aggressive, Jeez. volatile ones. Um, which usually marketing and advertising gets slashed first for a lot of these companies and you were building your revenue off oh, of that. I, I, look, we were – before um, we 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 got the money in '09 from
0: Excel and AV, uh, Echo um, the the larger funding source for the, the, the for what we were doing at the time, uh, Echo Unlimited um, had gotten very aggressive in real estate and brick and mortar and and, and sale and um, like um, actual uh, stores. Yep. And the world just fell apart, and real estate fell apart, and they had no money. And they were making massive cuts, right? You know, they had to sell it off a piece to like Lee and yep. Fung and so on and so forth. And uh, Seth came to me and he's like, Yeah, he goes, uh, I need uh, 40% of your your OPEX back. And I'm like, uh, like What the uh, fuck? We're profitable. <laughs> I'm like, All right. Well, no, we weren't profitable. We, we were like, you break we were even, break, right on, like it. right on break even at that point, because you got to remember we were profitable, and then I used the profits in 07 to go into Roll digital, yeah, and then we took a step backwards because we got, ve- I wanted to get very aggressive because yep. I saw the upside, so I was like, let's feed the beast now instead of starving it off, yeah, right. So we got a little aggressive. I mean, we were just like, I mean, it was, you know, we'd, we'd bounce around between like losing 500 grand and making 2 million. Like
1: yeah. no, nothing. So just to paint the picture for everyone, you came in, you operated that thing as CEO, you were running Complex Mag, and you made that, you, you broke that business even in a really- After three and after a half years. After three and a half years. Um, really difficult time and difficult thing to do. Very few publications well, are with, able to get there Print at all. is going down. Print's going right. down. You saw So it.
0: And we're growing
1: through that. Yep. Which is bizarre. So you reach profitability, then you start seeing, a, 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 or you break even, then you start seeing a little bit of profitability and you go back to them and say, hey, I wanna reinvest this into digital and do so by rolling up which, companies Which, by the seeing. way, was
0: a really fun conversation. I, b- I bet it was horrible. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you gotta remember, this is, these are guys I had not put any capital in, right? So yeah. I, my only skin in the game was my time, opportunity cost. Those yep. guys had put money in the business. And I said, good news, bad news, guys, end of 06. And I said, uh, good news is we're broke even, we're gonna start making money. The bad news is you're not gonna see a penny of it back to you, yeah. cuz I'm taking everything we got and putting it right back in the business, yeah. cuz we gotta go hard at digital. Like and exclusively, and they, exclusive, you know, and like they were like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Like That's not happening. Yeah. And uh, that was quite a fight, um, like really bad, yeah. for like four, four and a half weeks. If you think about the landscape in 07, there were either portals, ironically, AOL and Yahoo, which are now one company owned by half of our ownership, or um, these large scale oriented digital plays that were just reach and scale, right? No real connection to the audience. And I fundamentally was like, oh my God, I'm like, online is an on-demand media play, right? Because it's anything you want at any time. And I'm like, how... This is all. This is going to democratize and give people that are that are these really strong conversations and these verticals, like all of the verticals that were subculture oriented for us, sneakers and hip hop, and I mean, all this sounds done now, but comics, you know, art and design, yep. comics, games, those were all fringe, and we, that was but, core to complex at the uh, time. Th- those Subcultures. Were all, those were all of our vertical. Those were our tenants. Yep. And you know what's what's ironic is the tenants have not changed one bit by the way yeah we've and all we've done is
1: move our distribution platform and you've helped take those tenants mainstream and, you were well, able to predict that, that as well as and that you is, were able
0: to predict the digital and video and that's the other thing you just yep. nailed it and what's it's an important to make this this connotation we never reported on those things we defined those things mm. we made the news and we told people what was cool mm. so we helped grow those categories versus just Right now, you have a lot of people trying to jump on the sneaker bandwagon. Yeah. I find it fun. I find it funny.
1: Yeah, you know how hard is that? Uh, you know, I, Mike just sent me a, a Steve Jobs interview from from a long time ago, and he had talked about his first uh, stint at Apple and versus his second. And when he was talking about his second, he had said they became less about what they were capable of creating and knew that the audience would want at some point. And and turn the methodology around, and like what do they need now, and let's service that. And and I get it that they're they're a product based, based business, um, and you're you're building culture and and narrating. So, in in your world, you have to be you're communicating with people. That's right. And he's building a product. That can't be ahead of the time, otherwise someone may not be able to use it. But but, you're na- but how are you serving people? But, but, yeah.
0: but you're nailing something there. That there's the choice: are, are you going to be reactive or are you going to be proactive and define? Yeah. You know the one thing that I loved about Apple, and you know there's a the famous line, and I'm going to butcher it here, but um, Jobs was just like, you know what? They'll buy what I tell them they're going to need to buy. Yeah. Right. Some, and I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but. You know, it, that's what's beautiful about Apple. They are a product company. Most product companies react to marketplace opportunities. Apple created all of theirs. Yeah. Right? They were out with iTunes. They were out with the with the uh the iPod. They yep. were out with the iPhone. Like they, they, they were, were not reactive. They they were not reactive. And we're the same way. You know, like I always say like others make others report on the news, we make it. Like we're making the news, and we've always chosen. Like, do we do some coverage and news? Yeah, but that's maybe twenty percent of what we do. The product that we put out is the is the predictive of defining and creating marketplaces. I mean, look what we were able to do with ComplexCon. Yeah, no one
1: ever thought of, can you take a trade show and make it a consumer vehicle? Yep. And that's what we did. Yeah, I remember you telling me about that. I think you're headed into year two, but one of my other favorite entrepreneurs is is Ted Leonsis and he talks about bricks and clicks. Another Brooklyn. There you go. And so, you know, being able to all, all their a lot of their efforts are on Monumental Sports Network, they know that ninety-five percent of their consumers through their sports properties, the Wizards and and on, are are through some medium, uh, some tablet, some device, computer or television. But they, they know that to be successful in business and there are no pure play e commerce companies without a presence in brick and mortar. One hundred percent. But what you've done is built an event business off the back of you know, a, a really a, a, you know, a fascinating media enterprise. That's right. And convert it. Fifty thousand people come, there's performances, there's new Products, art, there's exclusive apparel. I mean, we
0: you know, over twenty I think they did I think across all of the company the vendors that were there as well as our own merchandise i think there was somewhere in the neighborhood it was between either 26 or 27 million dollars worth of sales
1: occurred Amazing. in long beach over those two days is that your version of brick and mortar if you're a media company it's run an event
0: you know it's interesting if you have was... a loyal enough audience <laughs> well you know what's nice is it, it, you know the location is secondary um, what huh. we all we really did, and I'm gonna, I'm stealing the words of a kid who I overheard when we walk. I was walking in the second day, and he's walking in with all of his friends, and you know they're supreme out and Louis vuitton yeah. <laughs> out, and you know just laughable. And and this kid is like, he's like, this is like my, if I dreamt up a mall, it's like my mall, and it, all we did is bring the culture to life, right? Like now, granted, there's not many brands that could ever unify everybody and get everybody to play in the sandbox. And then instead of allowing them to go and just put product on display, we forced everybody to spend money Mm -hmm. to make it experience-oriented for people. Mm -hmm. So it's not about selling the product, it's about telling the story of the designer behind it and allowing these kids to touch and feel it and bring the culture to life, which is why streetwear and sneakers are what they are today and are is where they are is that that as a category where it is today and it's not just the product but it's that story and those references and what those mean and why these kids care so much about it and we just figured out a way to bring that and make it come alive yeah that and that's it you know it's not really a trade show it's not really a festival it's yeah. It's a cultural Super Bowl. Yeah, it's for lack of a better term. Have, have
1: you, during that ideation phase, which this was your baby, did uh, did you have to convince people about the upfront expenditures? Oh, was oh, it as hard I mean, as going digital, or um,
0: no? That but may but have e, been well, a little bit bigger. Okay, yeah, us yeah. like, hey, I mean, scrap what well, you, we just made you, profitable. The, the, and big, go digital.
1: the big difference
0: is, you know, we were going in with a lot of momentum. Complex is a brand that means an awful lot to yeah. an awful lot of people, right? So. The, the, we weren't at the origination point. We weren't, if we were trying to sell ComplexCon without Complex, that would have been Good like, luck. forget it, no way. Yeah. But you know, when we were contemplating this whole thing, and we were talking to Reed, our partner, on an executional basis, and we were out for dinner, it was like me, Mark, uh, this guy Maksha, who was our sales guy, and and Aaron Levant from Reed, and we're at Momofuku and having dinner, and I'm like. <laughs> I know this is going to sound crazy. I'm like, and we're going to do this as a JV, but I think it's important for us not to try and milk the, the, the vendors as much as possible. In fact, if anything, let's have the cost structure be as minimal as possible for them. Huh. But they have to submit their ideas for what they're going to do. And that money, instead of going to our pocket, will go towards the experience itself which will then justify the audience hmm. that was the th- I'm, I'm, uh, by the way that was not exactly the words we were using yeah. at dinner but that was the the thesis we came up with and um believe it or not like it wasn't it wasn't easy but because we were not getting the dollars and it was going into the actual but people bought in yeah and that's that vibe of that first time when we walked out there I, I mean I will tell you something it it was like it was, like the, it was like nothing you've ever been to in your entire life.
1: Let's face it. Hiring is challenging. Rich and I discuss on the show how the right people make the best culture, but how hard it is to find them. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and it's smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ziprecruiter.com forward slash cross. Here's how ZR works. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZR get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, Sitting Up Podcast listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ziprecruiter.com slash cross. That's ziprecruiter.com forward slash C R O S S E. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And you've always told me with partnerships. You have to create win-win scenarios. You you all you do more BD than you do any type of sales. That's all I do. Yeah, and and so you looked at the multiple cost barriers for a brand to come in and activate at a big conference like that. Many of them will say, "Hey, pay to just get access." Oh, and then by the way, pay to do this. Extravagant activation. You were like, ah, it's just not going to be realistic. We'd rather have a sick activation. Well, you know, look, these kids. You
0: know, everybody. It's the height of irony. All these brands like want to create these social moments. Like that's the new. That's the new viral video, right? Yeah. Like, oh, like, like, how do we start the narrative? Like, I got news for you. You know what? <laughs> just tell a real, pure, great story and add value to the consumer, yeah. and they will become a fantastic brand ambassador for you. You have to remember the first complex Con we did was uh, first weekend in November. It was right before the uh, the 2016 presidential election. Okay. And we were a trend a top 10 trending topic on Twitter the entire weekend Wow, with all that shit going on. Yeah. The emails, Hillary, I mean it's yeah, just there's funny a lot now of shit going but, but right. Yeah. And and if you think about what that meant like, you know, it was a phenomenon. Yep. And um well your your entire audience is digitally native too. That's right. That's right. and I mean, um, and but but I, I hate to say it, it's like the digital thing though is it's secondary. That's still right now, it's a fleeting like I, I look at us right as as the ultimate youth culture brand that right now happens to ditch disproportionately distribute digitally. Previously, we were the ultimate youth culture brand from like all the tenants that happened to be a print vehicle. And by the way, five years from now, we will probably be the ultimate youth culture brand that is uh, distributed more fragmented and segmented than anybody else. And it's not defined by the platform. You never define a business by your distribution platform. Your product, especially as a media play, is the connection to the audience, that depth and that level of inf- impact and influence. And that's where that's where magazines went wrong. Yeah. Is they were like, "Oh, well p- the paper is our product, the distribution platform." No. What are you let? you're allowing magazines started the best highest level conversations with the most affluent audiences in the world and let digital steal everything from them because they allowed themselves to be defined
1: by their distribution platform. Hmm. What did, what did you do going back to that 2003 to six and a half, uh, where you broke that business even like just a high level? How do you, how do you make a magazine company break even? Well, look, would it even be possible now? (laughs) <laughs> no. Okay. So, uh, so <laughs> I mean, you know, you, uh, most, most people who are
0: doing print are doing it from a promotional perspective, yep. right? Uh, or a marketing. And it's a component to other things, right? I
1: feel like oh, I look, every other page is in an ad like, now.
0: I, I say this like as still somebody who loves a tangible product. Yeah. I love it, right? It's very luxurious. Um, there's an ownership There is. There too. is. It's fantastic. There's a keepsake. Yep. Um, you know, the photography, there's nothing like the, the photography, the richness of what you can do. Um, but look, we – we we. Uh, my immaturity and complete ignorance of the facets of the business is why we probably made it work huh. because I didn't – I never was like, well, I don't know what a, the consumer marketing group at a large scale play like Condé or Hearst looks like. So my viewpoint was, how do we look at subscriptions? It's not I don't want to go and just buy those. Remember the mailing cards yep. and all that shit, direct I mail? Mean, yeah. I was like, wait a second. We have all these, we have all these clothing items that are going to the coolest retail shops across the entire world, disproportionately in New York, LA, Chicago, and Miami. I'm like, let's put a 1 cent tag from China where the product is being made as a subcard and with no cost structure, you and so instead of spending $20 to acquire a consumer, right. I was spending a penny. Yeah, And I'm like. And any, it was the right and it consumer. Was the, and it was the targeted consumer yeah. that I could never even afford to think about doing from a direct mail perspective. Yeah. That t- I took a massive cost structure out and we were able to scale a very targeted audience very quickly.
1: Yeah, you've said vision and thought process are the two core characteristics of, of a successful entrepreneur or even just employee or executive.
0: Uh, Even in life, right? I mean, you gotta be able to look far enough out into where you wanna go and what you need to do, both individually and as a company. And then thought process, is like how you react to the tactics and the challenges, right? Yep. Is are you always looking to differentiate yourself? Are you always looking to create a moat from a defensible perspective? Are you always looking to find a better, smarter, faster, cheaper way to do something? Yep. Like how? What, how do you create advantages? That's your thought process. The vision is looking at it and going, "Here's that white space, and then here's the time continuum that's going to allow me to enter that white space at the right time." Yeah. And those two, to me,
1: are the. That's the combination that you have to think about when you talked about complex the future of complex and then I've heard you talk about a, a mistake early on about hosting video native <laughs> on your site before YouTube you go you, you got you guys are um, on social media and have built unique kind of in a way you um, platforms that that live there exclusively so you're telling stories or you're not pushing people through hyperlinks elsewhere and you're long and you've invested in those areas and you've seen growth because of that a lot of people use social media or brands uh to promote something elsewhere i love you you just use the
0: key word there i mean uh i make it very simple right um most people use social media as a push right like it's an announcement We've always looked at social media as a pull, right? Like it's like, put it out there. Here's a discovery. Like, do you want to come and see this? Do you want to come and look at this? You, you, the we didn't make a big mistake that a lot of people made on Facebook, right? Uh, I learned my lesson with the YouTube thing. Like you said, I, yeah. I look. That was one of the biggest mistakes in my career. Is like, I thought our platform was so big and so strong. Screw them and their forty five percent tax off the top. I don't need YouTube. Um, I can do video on my own. And, uh, you know, what I quickly realized is YouTube is the largest discovery video platform in the world. Oh, yeah. Period. End of story. And we needed them. Uh, And, but you know what's interesting is we've always, people, you got to make a delineation of your partners. In the fragmented, segmented world, you have to be everywhere. And everybody's like, well, you got to be where your consumer are. Okay, that's fine but what is your specific strategy on each of those platforms? Have you made a decision whether this is a discovery platform or a content consumption platform for you?
1: Hmm.
0: Most people don't make that delineation, and that's how you get screwed, right? Um, And also, most brands do not have the diversified strength that we have. We are strong on every platform. We, We don't live and die by one or two. If you think about that though, think about all your favorite media brands. Yeah. Usually it's like, oh well, this one is a that's a Facebook brand. Yeah. You know, or that's a that's an Instagram brand or that's a I got news for you. If <laughs> if if you are disproportionately beholden to one platform that you are not in control of, you will lose. Hmm. Like someone they either they're gonna disrupt you. Yeah. Or someone else will yep. as well. I mean, you need to be strong on all these because each audience is different. The way Very people different. behave on, and even the same person who will go on is looking for different things on each platform. Yep. Right? I mean, you know, Instagram, I love stories on Instagram because it's perfect for that platform because people go on and I'm like, I'm going to dip in and dip out in seven to 15 seconds. Yep. But YouTube, YouTube is the new school lean back, right? It's like I'm gonna go on, I'll watch my 18 minutes of hot ones. Yeah. You know? And and but most people aren't they're like, Oh, here's my piece of content and I've optimized it, but I haven't, but they're not going, what do I want to be? What what does the consumer think about and how do I differentiate what my brand needs to be for them on this platform? Yeah. And I just find it baffling the 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 lack of strategy that people apply.
1: Yeah. You've, you've said that uh, scale can't turn into great stuff, great stuff can turn into scale. That's you right. guys do that better than anyone. Uh, one question is you know, great stuff once isn't going to build an audience. You have to have a cadence around it. You've built these series and brands that sit underneath complex. You mentioned Hot Ones, Complex Closet, um, and- Sneaker shopping with Joe La Puma, yep.
0: Food Grail. Yeah,
1: exactly, and and uh, Blueprint and others. So, your recommendation. You're a media company, so you guys deploy capital to hire the right people. You have talent, and you're building out regularly. People know when to expect it. What about the the, the kind of the startup brands that don't have the capital or the personalities, the influencers? What do you recommend around cadence? Oh, I mean, look, I, I I think in there's a fire
0: hose of information everywhere on each platform. Um the, the cadence is great once you've attained a certain level of audience. I believe quality has to start first. So if you're going to launch anything in this day and age, just vomiting at your audience across the board before they even know you or what you're about, I would rather have five or six heavy users and then develop from there than, than kind of just be a dotted line to everybody right off the bat. I, I just think it's valueless. And I think it's it, you, if you start with a real differentiated narrative and a differentiated format, irrespective of platform and build your audience, you will, you will be able to take control of it and then you will be able to move it around to other platforms as well. Yeah. That is real value. Right, Being able to take an audience off of one platform and move it to another
1: is something only a handful of brands can do in this day and age. I've spoken with a few media executives on this podcast about sports rights, and you guys live in the culture of sports. That's right. Have you ever considered buying rights? No. Um And uh, it took me a long time to answer that one. that's good. You you answered it it as quick uh, as Reed Hastings used to, but that uh, might start changing. um,
0: Well, here's why. Here's why. Um, I think in this day and age, there's two things that are are, uh, working against complex buying sports rights for something. Um, Is never before have there been more athletes that people want to hear from but about things outside the lines and off the court. Yep. Um, never before have those athletes had more to say. Um, you are a shining example. I mean, you never shut the hell up, right? And uh, <laughs> and uh, I love you to death. Obviously, you know that. Um, but but I mean, and look at you, you're an entrepreneur. Yep. You're an investor. You, you know all of the above. That you're. And here's
1: the beautiful part. You're not an aberration anymore. Well, listen. I would have never gotten to meet you if it wasn't for my sport. So that's why athletes are able. Right, right, the right ones are taking 100%, advantage of it. One hundred percent. And yep. then,
0: and then, specific to complex, I believe that the biggest dearth out there is truly um, sports at, um, channels, no matter where they are, sports brands. No one does a good job of making lifestyle programming. Yep. I, I think it's horrific, to be really frank. I'm sorry, I just no shots at anybody, but yep. I you know, it comes off so fake and it's either like really shitty versions of those like schmaltzy Olympic things yep. or this heavy-handed narrative of like and they came out of the poor, you know, yep. like I mean it's so bad. Right. And it's not in the athlete's voice. It's not in the in the cons- in it's not in the tone the consumer wants to consume it's there's no rawness, very little of it. yeah. And my viewpoint is is we know and have a great tone and a voice. There's all of this opportunity on the other side. To me, uh, I think the great opportunity for complex, if we're going to go and spend a lot of money, which is what sports rights cost, I'd rather spend that money dedicated on owning sports lifestyle. yeah. and uh, that might be some foreshadowing, by the way, sure. um. Uh-huh. Um, but that's the way I look at it. It's not about the viewership of the game. I'm going to let all those brands, yeah. that, that and they're all over the place, compete on every platform and fight it out over highlights and analysis and numbers. I'm going to own the conversation of what sports really... And here's the thing is, where the real value is to the consumer and to the advertiser who wants to be part of this, sports you know like whether it's like an amazing thing of like your team won or or like an underdog story yep. it's how you it's how you feel and the lifestyle stuff makes you feel more than the game itself and to me that's where the value lies and that's where i want to own it it's amazing we talk about Does that make
1: sense? It makes a ton of sense actually so, so i would then take that and suggest that if if complex were to ever by sports rights that you would be sacrificing your authentic voice to the lifestyle component, you wouldn't want to put because it sounds like it's bifurcated, right? One one thing you could say the storytellers at a behemoth like this ESPN is, or NBC this is, this can't is, do it is, well, but you being, could also this is say being true to
0: who you are, is yeah, my point, exactly. Is I'm not saying that complex people don't care about sports, they do, they yeah. care about sports a lot, especially bass and NBA, NFL, yeah. like no, in soccer, they, they care about them a lot they don't wanna hear us analyze a game. That's not what they come to Complex for. Right. And this is why I laugh. There's some sports brands out there that are gonna remain nameless that are trying to enter into these other areas. I'm like, you know what? Stick to your goddamn stats, all right? Like, have some fun with that. Yeah, and and
1: that world's important for the people who wanna hear the stats. But the original programming, the narrative of the athlete, we talk about this with lacrosse, obviously a sport that hasn't reached mainstream at the level of the NBA, the NFL, MLB, MLS. But no matter the sport, and your point around the last second shot, the underdog story, the product that you see on field, on court, in pool, when you see that highlight moment, it's pretty awesome as long as it's broadcasted well. But what makes it better is, do you know those people that converted on that moment, and and that requires a story. That's right, and it requires often a third party platform. Like as as much as as I blabber and talk through my social channels, nothing is more effective than if Complex covers me. You're more, than more succinct than you give yourself credit that, for.
0: But at the end of the day, here's the funny thing: is we make decision, our business decisions not based on the p and We consider the p and afterwards. We make business decisions based on what, who we are as a brand and the conversation we want to have with the consumer base and how realistic that conversation is. The other things that you're talking about, a lot of those business, those businesses uh, or brands that are making you know, sports rights are doing it because of a business. They're trying to reverse engineer a business result. They are not thinking about the end consumer. They are not thinking about what that brand means. They're not thinking about what positioning that that does for them in exactly. the marketplace. And, and, and it's, I, I'm sorry, if you start to chase,
1: then once you start to chase, you're gonna chase forever. And it's over for you. It's over. We say We say with new technology and new media, especially with millennials and Gen Zs, they have X-ray vision on character, on brand authenticity. And if you start chasing, they're gonna they're gonna smell it, it, it and it's it, over,
0: and it's over, and then you don't mean anything, yeah, and you don't mean anything. You're a commodity, and and it, it's just that's not the game I want to play. It's wild, it's just that simple,
1: yeah. So complex all over social. Rich, you're on Twitter. We've talked <laughs> about this a lot, and uh, and and you've shared with me that your thought process as a leader, your vision often comes out on Twitter first, before you even talk to executives internally. And, 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 and yeah, I, it's I more motivational. Not, I should probably not do that as but much But it's motivational, said. it's encouraging, it's also challenging in some cases. So before we sat down and we were kicking around the idea of going through some of your latest Twitter activity <laughs> as uh, a way to, to spawn some some of the, what you think about daily. So I, I highlighted a bunch, um, and, uh, and we'll use this as jumping off points, but this is one... I love in quotes going for it big time, but there are serious downsides to this grand slam or strikeout business culture society we have created. So for me, that that's telling. You know that there's there's layers to this, like there's levels to
0: that comment. That you know, number one, I'm I actually really unfortunately, this is gonna I try and be very positive for the most part. I think there's a lot of people who are just acting like entrepreneurs um, or or, or don't understand everything that goes into it. And um, there's a lot of those people who are trying to do it. I admire their hustle, but they might not have all of the traits to make it work. And I think there's too many people that have fallen in love with the allure of it versus the reality of, of, of have they challenged themselves. To truly, do they have the skill sets and the capital and the willingness and the stick to itiveness and everything to actually make it happen? You know, some people should work for somebody else. And some people should work at a job for a long time and um, and, and they're not either they're not comfortable with the risk. Or they don't have the vision. They're not willing to change and iterate as much as they are going to need to. You are constantly uncomfortable. Yep. And you, if you're not constantly uncomfortable, I like got news for you, you're not going to win. Yeah. And 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 here, that's the one level. That's the tactical level. But what scares me about this is, you know, we've gotten to the point where there's a lot of kids out there that everybody, everybody just wants to go for it, and they don't want to. They, they, a lot of them don't have the education. And I don't mean like, like a like a degree from the right place. Right. I mean like they haven't gone through the experience of knowing what works and what doesn't, what the rules are, which ones to break, how to break them. The effect. like when if that many people all are entrepreneurs and ninety percent of businesses fail, you've now pushed the difference between the haves and the have-nots even further. Of hmm. that, and then that's what I meant. There's levels to this. There's the. There's just the reality of the tactical nature of it, that most people are not prepared to be entrepreneurs. Yeah. But then what is the net effect on society by having that many failures?
1: Yeah, I, I haven't thought or heard about that macro viewpoint. That, that's really interesting on, it's on potentially a socioeconomic divide it's terrible. that's even greater. We, we have seen, over the last decade, this proliferation and, and romanticizing of entrepreneurs. Scott Galloway, who was on the podcast previously, had said that if you have the skill set to work at a Goldman Sachs, and you have the skill set to be an entrepreneur, 10 out of 10 times, Go work for Goldman. He was like <laughs> my my college roommate has has pursued that path and is now a managing partner. He has a full head of hair. He has a, a wife and kids at home, and and he's super happy. And and, and Scott he probably owns a twenty five million dollar estate in right, Hamptons right. as well. But that's S- yeah. So yeah. so Scott was talking about you know one two things. One entrepreneurs often have uh, screws loose, and one that he acknowledged was I'm so insecure that I can't work for someone else. That's that's what he says. That's not for all entrepreneurs entrepreneurs, but that's how he he had uh, defined a little bit of of his career course. That's what nobody understands. I'm serving
0: so many masters, right? You are serving the consumer base that you're trying to sell things to. You have the advertising side, then you have your own employees who you're trying to balance risk and keep them motivated, and then you have your board or investors, and there's no room for you. you, I just did the four sides of the cube, Mm -hmm. and where's your family, and what about your health? And what about? Um, and look, you. There is no question. Every great entrepreneur that I've ever met, and, and I, I mean that successful or failure entrepreneur, but like, and because you could be a great entrepreneur and fail. Um, yeah. Y- you can, and um, sometimes things just don't line up right, and you lose for the wrong reasons. But you know, I have yet to meet any of them that are not crazy to a certain mm-hmm. degree. Um, they're not normal, and the one trait that they share um it, it, that it, it, i'm going to use the word insecure mm-hmm. cuz you you used it um i'm not insecure that i can't work for somebody else like that's but you know what i am i'm insecure in that i'm never comfortable right like i always feel like somebody's coming or I haven't thought of something or I I, I could do better, I can do more, I can I haven't thought about this one. Am I have I have I have I supported my kid? Have I gotten to that employee? Did I give them the right support? Like, do I need more capital? Like there's not one second that everything's on you. It and ultimately you you getting comfortable with that is the I don't know if I've ever gotten fully comfortable with it. I'm a lot better now, Yeah. Um, but that used to eat at me, like nobody's business. And... Your your two daughters have balanced you out, you've told me. You you know, can I... uh, I said something to you a long time ago, and I've said this to everybody. I was really scared having uh, my first kid, right? And uh, I had my first child at 37. And uh, when Emma came along, it was 2008. <laughs> it was a terrible time for him <laughs> Holy shit, uh, it was bad. Both my parents were sick. My mom uh, had had a stroke coming out of a double aortic aneurysm surgery. My father had grade five ca- bladder cancer, had had his bladder removed and was in full renal failure. Um, and my first kid was on the way and we ran out of capital. And, <laughs> and um, this, this is all... This is why I went through a scenario in 08 and 09 and came out the other side. I'm convinced nothing can kill me. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, after that, um, because I'll be frank, there were days where I was like, it would be, and I'm going to say it in a joking way, and it's really bad right now in the environment, but like, I'm not, like, I wasn't considering suicide, but there were like, there's thoughts in your head where you're like, oh my God, like, my life would be easier if I didn't live right now. Yeah like it it that that's 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 how sick, yeah, you know it gets sometimes, and you know I mean it, it got really bad, and it, it's 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 you have to be willing to go there's the you know as a, here's a perfect case example an athlete like you push yourself every day like an into an insane level with you know with some of the problems you're having and so on and so on the the practice like you know you go and you go to the point where you're going to throw up and then you go throw up and then you do come back and you do it again and you do it again like an entrepreneur's capacity for caring capacity for solving problems capacity for putting themselves last capacity to innovate you have to be at 150 on every one of those things At the same time, all the time. Yep. I I add, I don't know how else to say. I mean, and that's not not the way we're built as humans. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean, it requires an insane level of selflessness. But I say all that and I'll tell you something. Look, I'm smiling. I love it. Like, I got the, you know, the, the, the I got goosebumps, chills, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I love it. Yeah. It, I, maybe I am a sick bastard,
1: obviously. So, <laughs> so, so the next tweet then on that, that was amazing. The next tweet uh, is, is, is actually timely. It's for the entrepreneurs that are good that may not make it, is the way I read this. Sometimes when is just as, if not more important than what or how. I remember listening to Finn Barnes of First Round Capital at the Athlete Tech Summit we were at two years ago, and he said the first question or one of the more salient questions he likes to ask his founders are, why not two years ago and why not two years from now? You know, I, I cannot state that enough.
0: I mean, you know, I, I kind of, we were talking about it before with vision and how it lines up. There's the great idea that is totally different that's your vision. But then there's the secondary level, level layer of vision is is there, there's the time continuum that's going across and it's like, is the world ready for the idea? I mean, I say this and it's kind of funny, but people are like, oh, well, look at Google and look at Facebook. Well, wait a second. Before Google, there was Ask Jeeves. Before Facebook, there was Friendster and MySpace, yep. by the way. Yep. Um, the world was ready for them at that time. Um, they were not the first movers. They were not, they were, they were, you know, um, I've said this to you before. We had a big argument over it. I remember <laughs> when you were sitting, you and your brother were sitting in the office. And um, I asked you, I don't know if you remember this, but I asked you what's better, first or best. And you were both arguing over one or the other. And I'm like, you know what? In this day and age, I don't want to be first or best. You know what I want to be? I want to be some combination of early and better. Yeah. Because I, you, there's a point of diminishing returns from be- hmm. best doesn't get any value in this marketplace anymore. I want to be better, and I want to be super early. I don't want to be first, but I want to be early and better. And to me, in this day and age, whether it's a product, it's dis- disproportionately also in media, give me that combination, and that's going to win versus first or best every day and twice on Sunday.
1: And, and that's what you did with Complex.
0: That's right. Yep. 100%. Yep. We didn't have the capital to be bad like we we couldn't be the biggest. We couldn't like just go out and, and, and start making movies like at a, you know, like we, we couldn't do it. So we had to be incredibly disciplined and make choices. And to me, the 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 money, people and what we had from a talent enabled us to be early and better. And that was a choice that we made from that standpoint.
1: Yep. So your tweets are motivational, they're engaging, they're curious you also tweeted today is bomb pop weather. You understand this if you're from Brooklyn. What's bomb pop weather?
0: Uh, you don't know, you don't know what a bomb pop is, right? Like there's uh, it's it's a it's a three flavored. It looks like um it's red, white, and blue. Oh yeah, yeah. Right, right. Okay. They're called different things, but they're called bomb pops. Okay. you know anybody that matters calls it a bomb pop. Uh, but it's it's red, white, and blue, and it's it's the it's cherry, lemon, and blue raspberry. Right, yep. three classic flavors of summer, but like. You know, you got to eat it really fast in Brooklyn. Like, you know, the heat's coming off of the ground like Uh, barbecue, right? Because there's no grass and it's just, it's hot. And you're like, you know, you probably just finished either Wiffle Ball or Handball or something. And you know, and you just, and you hear that like Mr. Softy coming, you're like, ice cream melts too fast. Give me that bomb pop. You're cooling it off. And then your tongue's blue at the end of it, purple because of the combo of the flavors. And to me, that I, I can taste it. Because, and then I, could, I, could, I can smell Brooklyn right now, even yep. thinking about it, and it just takes you back, right? And that that's, th- I did not expect that but one that, to pop but up. But that's what
1: media executives do, right? They know how to tell a story in, in a really unique way. And so it's really, really hot. <laughs> well, everything's a story, this right? summer right, no, But narrative. everything's
0: a narrative, yeah.
1: right? Like, that's the other thing. Like,
0: I, I was telling somebody a story the other day um, about Complex, right? Like, when I got to Complex the colors on uh, the first couple of issues, everything was black and yellow. And I said, uh, Seth, Mark, like what's what's up with the black and yellow? And Seth's like, I was a Steeler fan. I'm like, what? (laughs) I'm like, that's your rationale. Like I'm gonna go and like, by the way, if I'm gonna go and weave this story and narrative, it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, look, complex is the intersection of all of these subcultures and none more important to me on a differentiated basis than sneaker culture. And really what, was the defining shoe where sneaker culture crossed over from athletics to culture in general. Jordan's. And to me, it's the Air Jordan. And what's the first colorway of Air Jordan? Red, black. Red, black, and white. white yeah. What are complexes colors? Red, Red black, 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 and white. Yeah. So there's a reason for everything you do. You have a reason for everything you do. It means something. And you give somebody else a reason to love and appreciate what you just did. Yeah, you
1: gotta have that. Most people don't go that deep. It's a big differentiator. How long before VCs, angel investors, and entrepreneurs start appearing on Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know what? He's right there too. Probably next season. <laughs> it's it's it's, it's <laughs> and that goes to our romanticizing of, of entrepreneurship. Well, and, right that's, and, and that's and that's my point, right? capital and yeah. investing, and
0: you know, these are these are uh, you know, there's a new obsession with money right? Previously, it was just re- really wealthy people that people were obsessed with, but all those wealthy people were old money, yep. right? Now, this is the, they are the definition, that group is the definition of new money, right? And um, mm-hmm. there's a fascination that goes with it. And they are characters and they are also, you know, old money used to be really good at keeping quiet, New yeah. money's not so great. Yeah, to keep that's quiet. a good point.
1: And that's that was really why I threw that tweet out. By the way, do you do you think that you know the seventies, eighties, maybe sixties, fifties entrepreneur during the industrial revolution had different skill sets than the entrepreneur today? And I'll be more specific that there were there were incredibly talented entrepreneurs back in the day. But the prerequisite was probably leaning more towards having large risk appetite and work ethic. Now, EQ and it's it's for CEOs and investors is so important. Um, high IQ, um, experience, just wanting to take on risk and work ethic isn't enough anymore. No, well, yeah,
0: but let's let's not even talk about what. Let's talk about why, right? Like, I, I think that's a it's a great topic because, you know. A lot of the entrepreneurs in at those different time frames, I hate to say it, there was a lot more white space. Yeah. Right? Like, and you the question is, is why is EQ almost more important than IQ at this point? Why is different are different ideas better than well thought out analytics and other things? Like, or i mean, I, I don't it's know if great. everybody agrees with that, but I look at that is because now if you're going if spaces are not there's no wide open spaces anymore. You have to find the white space within a category. You what what enables you to differentiate? But it's a lot of those traits that we just talked about that are different. Like yeah. anybody can go get an education. Anybody information, by the way, is everywhere. Like you know you don't learn it. You don't have to learn it anymore. You got Google right here. Like what what allows you to 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 create that white space? Like. Realize it and then differentiate to make an impact. So the traits that are necessary to be a successful entrepreneur is because of the context has changed. And I think that that's – it's not that it's just matured. It's that the marketplace matured and different skill sets, you know, you have to be infinitely more creative – now because
1: of the crowded nature of things, in my my viewpoint. Yep. And there has to be this underlying purpose. And to your point around the Jordan 1s and the colors of complex, my last tweet of yours, at least that I wanted to go through, lets us kind of dive into how the CEO thinks about sports and specifically (laughs) the athletes. So you participated in that all-time favorite player, each sport that was going around and had some virality a little bit ago. So some of your answers were unique. This is gonna be really interesting to, to find out how you think. NBA was Larry Johnson, Grandmama. Mm. Larry Johnson, to me... Like, favorite. F- favorite. Yeah,
0: You know why? Because, I, you know, previously, um, you gotta think about, like, a lot of... Even Michael Jordan's ads at that point were not about his personality. They were about his athletic ability and prowess and jumping and dunking from the free throw line grandmama was this like I'm this outsized character I'm amazing it was the the cultural manifestation of an athlete and he embraced it he was you know also I love I mean what was he six three six four but yeah. he played like he's six ele- he, played broad like Carl shoulders Ma- he played on like played like Carl Malone yeah. right yeah I mean the ups he had before the back problem and then reinvented himself and you know and and being a Nick for a while and, yeah. and honestly a big playoff grinder a big clutch player You know he checks a lot of boxes, but to me it's that
1: like he I just connected with him because of his the outsized personality. Yeah, and and you said I like gamers over stats and unparalleled talent. NFL, you threw in Dan Marino.
0: Yeah, I mean he's the the best pure passer we've ever seen. And you know what you know you you, I don't know if you watched a football life the Dan Marino thing. What I loved is they had Favre and 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 Jim Kelly and Peyton Manning instead of coaches and other things you had the players and you have like and by the way I just named 3 of the top 15 quarterbacks of all time right yeah. and uh and and Brett Favre was like look he's like you I'm I played quarterback and by the way he played it pretty well yeah. <laughs> um and he's like if you're building a team and you want a quarterback you pick Dan Marino yeah. like that's enough for me and you know my viewpoint, and this, by the way, is very close to that list, and it's a little bit, it's a near and dear thing to my heart in that, you know, because of my dad, there was, he never accepted an excuse to fail, irrespective of any team I played on or uh, any, like, whether it was sports or math or anything, you know, Dan Marino did more. With less talent than any other quarterback in history. I mean, dude, he had Arondé Gadsden for the five for five years as his number one <laughs> receiver. I could beat Arondé Gadsden now in a forty. <laughs> I mean, this is no talent, right? I mean, you know that and that that matters, right? Yeah. Like that, yeah. and that's you know. The, so the, I
1: mean, the, the professional sports world has has changed entirely with free agency. That's right. We we haven't quite seen it in the NFL as much as we see it in the NBA, but but another conversation. NCAA football, Bo Jackson. Oh, Bo knows I mean, they're, they're just the greatest athlete we've ever seen. Yeah, there's nothing the guy can't
0: do, and not only do it, but do it with more style and ease than anyone we've ever seen.
1: Bo's shoe came after Jordan's. I was having this conversation the other night. Is that right? Or did it come, I think like...
0: it came out in eighty six. The end of let's see, the the when he ran over the Boz in the end zone was yeah. was uh fall of eighty <laughs> seven. Yeah. He right? had the
1: cross trainer. Yeah. He had
0: the cross but the cross trainer I think came out in eighty eight.
1: Eighty eight. And
0: I think the original air Jordan is the end of eighty six into eighty seven yeah. time frame. So I think it was right afterwards. And and that was like that was great, but that was not mass market the way Jordan no. did. And I love that shoe. Don't get me wrong. But look, Bo is just you know, he, he's just different. Anybody who's going to argue that he's not the greatest athlete is, I, I knows nothing. Yeah, and <laughs> just, just they don't they don't know yeah. anything. It's a non starter conversation.
1: Well, you could you could I could maybe say Jim Brown, yeah, but I'm, yeah, but I'm, with I'm lacrosse, biased to cross like, right with <laughs> lacrosse. I mean, and look,
0: and it, w- here's the thing. You know what's funny is Jim Brown is an argument, but here's the thing: is there's a few like
1: I Bill honestly, was nuts. I, no, but
0: I honestly do believe you put any you put lebron james in any sport and
1: he might be bo jackson again like that that's that's my there's I don't our, know if lebron could break a bat just by like pinching it over his head well forget about it. that's not even his crazy like that there's two there's I've two things I watched that a dozen times
0: do, do you know when when bo there's that ball that he runs up on the wall yeah, yeah. to like to go and then there's the throw where he threw out harold uh Reynolds at home plate on the fly from 327 feet away, when most people would struggle to hit the cutoff, man, he threw it on a fly and threw out one of the fastest guys in baseball.
1: Yeah. Like, and, and by the way, it looked like he flipped it. He was superhuman. I remember when I was starting to develop my athleticism in college, I saw one of those padded walls and, and tried to do what boated did. It almost separated my shoulder. He's the best. Yeah, yeah. Knocked the wind out of me. NCAA hoops, Chris Mullen. That's from where I grew up. Yeah. Like, I
0: mean, St. John's guy. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, him and his brothers used to drink at all the bars. Pure Right, by, right by me. Like, yeah. and he's just, Dream you know, team. And honestly, he's, what I like about Chris is he makes me look like I have no accent.
1: MLB. He's got the, thick, yeah. <laughs> the thickest Brooklyn accent of all time. <laughs> his, his son plays across. Oh, does he? Yeah. I, Probably I mean, a great athlete. Great athlete. He's a huge. He's huge.
0: He's a huge man. And honestly, could be the largest
1: head I've ever seen of any human ever. The last one that I'll, I'll, I'll go on is, is Major League Baseball. Don Mattingly hands the captain. Yeah, like you love baseball. I love baseball. baseball. Oh my god! And, From New York, and, and and didn't really know too much about lacrosse, but all over baseball.
0: Yeah, I, get I mean, it. and by the way, Mattingly is what five ten, a buck eighty five, soaking yeah. wet. Yeah, guy hit thirty five homers in before the steroid era, and you know, talk about a gamer. Talk about a guy who's going to drive in the run, do whatever. Did everything not naturally like not a great natural athlete, right yep. but just amazing and you know he's a guy some of my favorite players are the ones unfortunately have never won championships, mm-hmm. and um, he's another one like did a lot with not a lot with he did more with very little very bad teams I mean Mel Hall was his cleanup hitter for a very long period of time yeah. think
1: about that well that that speaks to me. You know, you've never chased or, or found success or fulfillment in a championship. And I remember when hearing your interviews, when Verizon and Hearst came in to acquire the company, you were like looking at it as investment capital to grow further and build it. And so it's an entrance, not an exit. It's, it's, a, it's a mindset for you. Appreciate you coming on, man, sharing that mindset. You've always been as authentic and transparent as anyone I've ever met. <laughs> And, uh, and it's for the just the good for enjoyable. For good or
0: bad, but... Uh, well, and I also just wanna say thank you for having a... It's really nice to be able to talk to somebody on every single level, um, and I hope that pe- the listeners understand what you're bringing to the table, the diversity of people, perspectives, and angles on all this stuff. There's nobody who can't glean something from what you're doing here, and I think it's amazing.
1: If you enjoyed Rich and my conversation, as always, please be sure to let us know. Follow and mention us on social media. As I said earlier, his Twitter is off the hook. It's at Rich Antonella. And tell him to cover Mortal Cross. You can be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one on one conversation with another media exec, entrepreneur, and investor, Gary Vaynerchuk. His and many more are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, please hit subscribe when you find us and give us a rating and review. It goes a long way. Check out this episode's show notes at suitinguppodcast.com. And as always, thank you to our show sponsor today, ZipRecruiter. You can try your free trial today at ziprecruiter.com forward slash cross. Have a great day, evening, and week ahead, everyone. Until next time.